right, now at this time, if you're able, please stand for the scripture reading out of respect for God's word. Um, our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Acts 21 through 12. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater and the Berian, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aricius and Secundus, and Gaius and Derby. Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Titius and Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at the Troas, but this, we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the up, upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutilus, sit, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell into a deep—oh, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, "Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him." And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. And so departed, and they took youth, and they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. This is God's word; it is true, and is given out of His love. You may be seated. Amen. Don't Reagan and Harley do an awesome job? Can we give them a hand one more time? <laughs> Whenever I preach, they are under contract to read the scripture and to do announcements. It's Eutychus. It's my only correction. They had a lot of hard names. They had a lot of hard names. They did a stellar job. It's Eutychus. Well, good morning. My name is Aaron. If I haven't met you, I'm, I'm subbing in for Colbert today because he is in Greeley preaching at one of the churches we support, the town Greeley. Their, their pastor uh, Joey Parsons preached here last month. Uh, many of you remember that. We're here, and so uh, Colbert is returning the favor today. We are a part of the Acts 29 uh, Church Planting Network, and we love to support each other in the network, and that's what Colbert is doing today, uh, helping out another church in our network. So we love to do that, and that's where he is. And today we're continuing, as, as you heard there, we're continuing our journey through the book of Acts. Uh, together, Paul is is now headed towards Jerusalem in the back part of the book. And uh, last week we, we heard about the disruption that happened in the community when Paul was there with, with uh, his folks. And, uh, but now he's headed towards Jerusalem. He's driven to head back there. And as you heard, as the ladies were reading in Acts 20, it kind of begins with a travelogue. It sort of tells us the places where Paul is going to encourage the churches that he had planted and the people that were with him. Uh, and you'll also notice, if you, if you notice it in verse 6, you start hearing we and us, which means that the author of our book, Dr. Luke, Luke is now with Paul. They're together. We and us, he, they're traveling together now, and Luke is with him, the author of the book of Acts. So Paul's headed back to Jerusalem. He's going through Macedonia and Greece. He's encouraging the churches he's planted, and he stops at a church in Troas, where we find ourselves today. Now this, this story that you heard there, long sermon, Eutychus, 
falls out the window and dies, Paul resurrects him. This story is one of the most over-applied stories in the Bible. Over-applied stories. When we try to apply biblical narratives, like a story in the Bible, a Bible story, not uh, instruction to us, like in some of Paul's letters, but a narrative, when we try to apply it, we want to be careful I want to be careful that we don't strain the meaning into our own day, try to apply it to us so hard, and make things overly prescriptive for us, right? Sometimes our first move is, well, what does this story mean to me? Why does it apply to me? And so some of us, maybe your parents told you this story as a kid. Now listen, if you fall asleep in church, <laughs> things could go bad for you, right? And, and even as, as preachers, right, it always comes up like, you know, if you go long, it could be hazardous to the health of your congregation, the story of, of Eutychus. And so that's, you know, in, in my mind this morning, don't worry, I'm, I'm hearing that, I'm feeling that judgment from you right now. Paul spoke long, I'm feeling it. Uh, but I don't think any of that, I don't think any of those applications have to do with Luke's point. I don't think that was his point, is to try to apply this to us or the Holy Spirit's goal in inspiring this to us because as we know with the, with the Bible, there's the intent of the human author. There's that intent that we try to find out and then over the top of that, there's an intent that the Holy Spirit has inspired all the scriptures for us. And so the authors were carried along, it says in 1 Timothy, by the Holy Spirit to write it. And so I don't think any of those things or any direct prescriptive thing was the purpose. Let's not try to be so efficient in all things, we live in an efficient age. There's an app for everything. There's directions for everything. Everything is one, two, three, ABC. And in reading our Bibles, we can be so efficient that we try to break everything down to a personal directive. Let's, let's be careful to do that. So why then, if not that, why is this story <laughs> in the Bible, right? Why is this in Acts? Well, two big reasons. One is it's meant to be humorous. Luke is adding some humor to the story. I think after last week, there's probably some humor that we're due here in, in kind of a serious story. This is a, this is a funny thing, um, sort of a larger, different sermon on, is the whole story of the Bible a tragedy or a comedy? I'm going to leave that question floating for you for the rest of the time. But anyway, there's a little bit of humor here, humor here from Luke. And, and uh, you know, you can just imagine, right? You can imagine the, the discussion between Luke and Paul, you know, afterwards they're headed out of Troas, they're headed on, as we heard there at the end, it's like Paul's, Luke, do you, do you think I went a little long? Yeah. Luke's, Paul, a guy fell out the window and died. Yes, yes, you preached long. It was a little long, you know, and Luke, you know, Paul, maybe next time we don't need to go all night right? Like, let's, like, not all night. We could probably cut it short a little bit. You can imagine these conversations. And so I think it's just supposed to be sort of a funny moment. And, and Paul is just a man. He's just a preacher, even though God worked these miracles through him as he did in this story, that he just, he, he went long. Kid got sleepy, fell out the window, right? And uh, there's some humor in the story. Also, though, and probably more importantly, why this story is here, Paul is encouraging the churches, Luke is letting the other churches who are reading this travel, or reading the story, know this is what is happening through the ministry of Paul and through the kingdom of God. So the church is encouraged, empowered, and their faith is strengthened um, through this episode. So just to remind you of the details of the story, Eutychus got sleepy, young man got sleepy. In the window, as the service went on and on and on, he fell three stories 
Fill out the third story window. So, good, you know, we're not having church on the third story of anything this morning. It's good. Fill out the third story window and die. He did actually die. Luke could have used different words if he was trying to say that he appeared dead or something like that. He could have said it differently. He didn't. Or if Paul wanted to say when he, when he picked him up, if he wanted to say that his life is still in him, Paul could have said that. He didn't say that. And so when he picked him up, uh, he had actually resurrected him. And, and, and there's, we know that there's an echo of two stories in this story that Luke tells. Luke knows his uh, scriptures, and there's an echo of two stories, one of Elisha and one of Elijah, 1 Kings 17, if you want to write this down, 1 Kings 17, 2 Kings 4, when they were called to raise a person up. Some of you know that story. Elisha was called into the, the widow of Zarephath. Her son had died, and Elisha actually stretches himself out over the young man and breathes life back into him. And, and Luke is echoing that when it says that Paul bent over Eutychus, same kind of thing, and God did a miracle through him. Uh, Paul did the same thing. Eutychus was raised in the same way, and there's a connection being made there. And then a really important verse for, for what we're talking about today happens. That's verse 12. I think we have it up here, uh, Acts 20, 12. And they took Eutychus, the youth, away, and they were not a little comforted. If you have NIV out there, it says they were greatly comforted. You can imagine that, right? A young man, member of the church, tragic accident, Paul breathes life back into him, and that is a comfort and an encouragement to the church. This story is here to show us a preview of our own resurrection in Eutychus being raised and the folks in the church. This is a preview. is the kingdom of God breaking in when Christ rose from the dead, and as Paul spread the gospel out, the kingdom of God is breaking in. It's still going today. Eutychus was raised. And whenever miracles like this happen, when we see them in our own day, when we see them in the scriptures, the, the sick are healed, the dead are raised, even when Jesus turned the water into wine and, and, and multiplied the five loaves and two fishes, all of those are to give us a little glimpse of God restoring all things. God is going to restore all things. It's happening in smaller ways. The kingdom of God is breaking in, and one day it will happen in an ultimate way. God will restore all things. And so when Eutychus was raised from the dead, that's another example of the kingdom of God breaking in. Jesus saying through the author Luke, this is what the kingdom of God is like. There will be new life. We will be raised again to new life. See, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. 1 Corinthians, this is, uh, yeah, 15. Verse 20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Some of you might say, well, that church was encouraged because they knew a man, Eutychus, that was raised from the dead. Everyone in here knows a man who was raised from the dead. We should be encouraged by that. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 21, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die for sins, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So, our father Adam gave us this body that will break down there is a 100% death rate among humans. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's tragic. All of us 
are headed that direction, but through Christ then, in the same way, all of us are headed towards a resurrection as well. Christ was the first fruit, it says there, the first fruit of a great harvest of resurrection. All will be raised, and those in Christ will be raised to everlasting joy. Hope and belief in the resurrection, just like the church in Troas on this long sermon meeting, hope and belief in the resurrection should bring us great, great comfort. Acts 20, 12, they were greatly comforted, and so should it be for us. In fact, D.A. Carson says this, there's nothing wrong with you that a good resurrection won't fix. There's nothing wrong with you, nothing wrong with your life, nothing wrong with your history, nothing wrong that's going to happen to you in your life that a good resurrection won't fix. Nothing. Our problems can start to loom so large and be so big in the rearview mirror, right? We can forget. We can forget that Christ is coming to make all things new. And as Christ arose, we will also rise. Our problems get so big, right? Problems in the mirror are closer than they appear. Get so big, we can forget. We can forget that Christ has come. He's making all things new. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. And I just want to just want to put myself in that train this morning. I want to declare to you a word from the Lord that Jesus will come and take all of his children with him, and in Christ you will rise again. Say that to you today. So I want us to look, I just want us to look at two resurrection realities. What does this mean? I keep using that word. What does it mean that that we will rise again. What are realities from that? And I want that to bring us comfort today, just like the church in Troas. So many of us are discouraged in here today. It's been a, been a rough time in our community, a rough time in our nation, a rough season. So many of us are anxious. Let's let the resurrection and our resurrection be a balm to our souls today. Let's open our hearts to that truth today. Let's let that sink in and let's let it do to us what it did to the church in Troas. Two resurrection realities. Number one, you and I get a new body. I thought there would be some happiness surrounding that. <laughs> Maybe I said it serious. You and I will get a new body. Philippians 3, 20, 21 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, oh, thanks Paul, lowly, uh, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So I say you get a new body. Why do I say that so confidently? Why? The power of God that put all things in subjection to Jesus Christ, that power will give you a new body. So, as the kids say, this is happening. Okay? It's going to happen transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Here's, here's more. 1 Corinthians 15, 53. By the way, I'm all over the Bible today. You can jot some references. I don't expect you to be flipping with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 53. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, 
and this mortal body must put on immortality. For when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. When we say it with me? Death is swallowed up. Victory. Amen. So there's two kinds of bodies. There's a perishable body. So what you have now, this is going away. I, I, here, I will, I will shed some skin cells right now. This is, this is going away. Sorry, Stephen, I apologize. For that. This is perishing. This is perishing. You will have a different sort of body, one that is not perishing. I don't know if we wrap our minds around that. And again, this isn't to say that we will, you know, the, the, the Gnostic, uh, Platonic, heavenly myths that we're strumming a harp on a cloud and we're some kind of spirit and we look like some sort of weird white mermaid kind of thing. No, no, no. You have a body. Jesus had a body post-resurrection. He ate dinner with the boys, fish fry on the beach. Everybody remember Luke 20, right? Somebody nod, blink if you're with me. Oh, yes, thank you. They, he ate food with the disciples. He joked around with them. He showed them the, he did the miracle with the coin, right? He walked with the men on the road to Emmaus. If he was just a floating spirit, the guys on the road to Emmaus would have probably like ran for the bushes, right? Like, who's, there's now a ghost next to me. No, 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 it was, just, it was a body. It was, it was Jesus, post-resurrection. Had he, we will too, it will be imperishable. I read this week uh, an article from uh, Kina Aragon, she says this, I think I have this quote up here. Can you imagine worshiping God without any sin in your heart? Living in perfect, harmonious fellowship with people, always enjoying your work, exercising the ever-increasing capacities of your mind and body without any hindrance or handicap. A few times during worship team rehearsal this morning, we heard this. Oh, I forgot. Oh, my brain's not working right now. Temporary. That won't keep happening. That will not be a part of your imperishable body. Can you imagine worshiping God with any sin in your heart? Oh, we come, we come together so conflicted, don't we? Some of us have had brutal weeks. Imagine that being gone. Living in perfect, harmonious fellowship with people. Hey, here's a great thing about the new creation. Guess what? You will like everybody. Better news. Everyone will like you. I don't think we have any idea the difference in our lives. Some of you, if you've recently been through some relational discord, that might hit a little different. That's an amazing thing. You will enjoy everyone. They will like and enjoy you. Always enjoying our work. Yes, we'll be doing work in the new creation. And guess what? We won't, we won't get tired. We won't have toil in our labors. It won't be toilsome to us exercising the ever-increasing capacities of our mind and body. See, Kina Aragon is a runner, and she developed IT band syndrome, and she had to stop running for a while. Here's what she said in continuing of this quote. She says, when I feel the pangs of ITBS, sickness, or injury here and now, I worship Christ, because these bitter afflictions will only make for a sweeter resurrection. Either way, I'm so ready for my upgrades. I'm so ready for my upgrades. I think that's a great way to look at it. We live in an upgrade culture. Everybody knows what that means. But you know, it's a little bit incorrect. It's not so much that it's an upgrade like you're the uber version of yourself. It's, you know, you have a different body different, of different things. You know, our, our, our organs are, are wearing out. Our, our body looks different than it did 10 years ago. 
our beards are more salt than pepper, present company involved with that here, uh, you know, it'll be a different sort of body. And so you will get a new resurrection body, and that should bring you great comfort. Some of us in here deal with pain. That pain's temporary. Your physical problems are temporary. Some of us um, deal with, you know, mental health issues. Some of us have have dealt with discouragement. Some of us have dealt with um, relational discord that becomes physical. Like some of our relational problems can become physical. It's hard to sleep. Some of us just have trouble sleeping. All of that be done, be gone. It'll all be, it will all fade away. And so I'm looking forward to my upgrades, as I hope that you are too. And again, it's easy to say, well, that's just such a Christian pie-in-the-sky thing to say it like that. And I just want to offer you again the story of Jesus post-resurrection, that this is a very earthy, very thick and real body that you and I will have. So, you get a new body. Number two, resurrection reality. The resurrection restores all that went wrong. The resurrection restores all that went wrong. Um, in the Jesus Storybook Bible, some of you have that. You read it to your kids. I know we have some copies at the, at the Kids Center back there. I encourage you to do that, by the way, if you have small children. Read through that with all of my kids. And uh, they still remember some things from that when they were very young. It says this, when Christ will come, he will make all the sad things come untrue. The resurrection restores all that went wrong and make all the sad things come untrue. I like the way that the Jesus Storybook Bible says that because it doesn't gloss over the fact that there are sad things and they are true (laughs) right now. There are sad things and they are true and when Christ comes and restores all things, those things will no longer be true. Revelation 21 I believe we have a slide. Here's the vision of the new creation. John, author of Revelation, had a vision. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, of the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. By the way, the reason why it says that in Revelation is because the sea in those days was very uh, mysterious. If you've read Greek mythology, you know that where does, where does the beast come from? Right, where do the monsters crawl out of? Right, so, so the sea, when they would go to the Mediterranean Sea, it was like, oh, got to be careful, we're on the sea, who knows what will happen. So when it, when it says the sea is no more, it doesn't mean there's no water in heaven. Surfers, sailors, be at peace. It just means no more fear, okay? Here we go. Sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. I'm making all things new. I will wipe away every tear from your eye. God is promising you that the sad things will become untrue. He will wipe away every tear from your eye. What a precious, precious promise. C.S. Lewis said it this way, there are far, far better things ahead than any that we leave behind. Isn't that a great truth? Even how we started this morning... Psalm 46. 
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be moved, the mountains be thrown into the heart of the sea. The, the, the visuals here in Psalm 46 is that all of the earth is falling apart. Our lives are falling apart. Kind of what the last few years have felt like, right? The mountains being moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, everything is going crazy. Life is falling apart. There is a river who makes glad the city of God, a place where his glory dwells. It's what we read together this morning. In the midst of everything falling apart, when life is upside down and the mountains are flipped over upside down, when all things are falling apart, the reality of the new creation, our resurrection, is our comfort. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The psalmist David was saying that in those moments where life is upside down, we should think on the new creation. Colossians 3 said we should set, set our mind on things above, right? Now, some people want to argue with that and say, well, I know what Psalm 46 says. I know Paul says set your mind on things above, but I think sometimes you can, you can finish this for me. I think sometimes you can be so heavily minded that you're no earthly good. A couple things. One, not in the Bible. That is in the book of Hesitations, chapter 4, <laughs> verse, get out of here. Not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. Um, it's also very, very centrally not true. The Bible encourages us to be heavenly minded. Now, we might say, well, some people just always talk about you know, going to heaven, and so it doesn't matter what I do here. And so I'm just going to heaven when I die, so it doesn't matter what happens on here. That is not heavenly-mindedness. That's not what that is. And so, yeah, there are people who may be no earthly good, <laughs> but they're not heavenly-minded. All right? Uh, I, actually, I actually know someone who, who if, you, if you knew him, you would say, yeah, man, that guy is so heavenly-minded to an annoying degree. He's an old pastor friend of mine. Uh, I don't live near him now. He lives across the country. And, and on Facebook, it's always, you know, all the, all the pictures of, you know, one day I'm going to be with Jesus, can't wait for a new body. He's had some health issues, some cancer issues, can't wait for a new body, going to be with Jesus, can't wait to be with him. This life is passing away. You know, people are disappointing. Jesus is perfect, you know, all that kind of stuff. That guy is not no earthly good. He is one of the most evangelistic people I know in my life. He helps the poor. He helps, he has a, he has a long-standing um, ministering relationship with those who are disabled in his community, all kinds of earthly greatness. And that guy is annoyingly heavenly minded all the time. And so I just want to, I just want to take that out of your head that that's a problem. Paul tells you in Colossians 3 to set your mind on things above. If you're, if it's Tuesday afternoon this week, you're anxious, you're depressed, things are not going well. And you say, man, I just, I just want to think about my new body. And I would just like to think about Jesus making all this right. And do you feel the world is broken? But do you know that the darkness won't stop the light from getting through. If you want to sit in your car and think about that, I just want to tell you to do that. The Bible tells you to do that. That's why it, the truth is there for our encouragement. That's why Eutychus was raised from the dead, for our comfort and our encouragement, okay? Set your mind on things above. And so the resurrection restores all that went wrong, and that's 
in the scriptures and in our lives, that is the cue, that is the comfort for us in those difficult times. John eleven, twenty five and 26. Jesus, when he showed up at the tomb of Lazarus, says this, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So I just ask you, I just ask you this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe everyone in Christ, in him, Jesus actually says shall never die, and just what he means by that is all that language in the Gospels of so-and-so was asleep, so-and-so slept. It's not, that, it's not that we don't actually die, we die, but at that moment, we're with the Father, and then one day when he returns, we will have a new body as well. And so Jesus goes so far as to say, he who believes in me will never die. That's why he said it that way. Though he die, so he clarifies, Jesus clarifies, well, that sounds crazy. Though he die, yet shall he live. And shortly thereafter, Lazarus walked out of the tomb. See, here's the truth. I just want you to, I just want you to think about that to yourself. Do you believe that? Do you believe with me that every single person in this room will be alive in 10,000 years? Every single person. And in Christ, we will be in a restored, imperishable body, fullness of joy, fullness of satisfaction, indestructible, in 10,000 years. Do you believe that? You might want to answer in the affirmative if you feel so inclined. Does anybody believe that in here this morning? That's the hope of my life. And I, and I hope it is for you too. <clears throat> Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. <clears throat> Richard Baxter, a, a Puritan pastor, said this. <clears throat> he said, Hold out a little longer, O my soul, and bear with the infirmities of your earthly tabernacle, for soon you will rest from all your afflictions. Hold out a little longer, O my soul, bear with the infirmities of your earthly tabernacle, for soon you will rest from all your afflictions. So I tell you to hold on. Tell you to hang on. And there is a new creation coming, as we sang today. Believe, we, we believe all that stuff, by the way, that we sang. And uh, the resurrection is a comfort to us. It's the fuel in us. And, and this story, again, you can imagine the church as Eutychus was raised from the dead just to go, okay, what is, what, what is this new life? What is this kingdom that's breaking in, this church that Paul planted. What is, what is going on here, right? There's eternal new life in Christ. You can know him today. Um, in, in John 11 right there, when it says, he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That, that Greek word that's translated in there, that really that word ice means into. So John was saying there, he who believes into me, into Christ, we become grafted into Christ. Our new body, our new life is wrapped up in Christ's resurrection, his new body. We believe into him. 
Though he dies, yet shall he live. I just invite you to believe in Christ today. If, you, if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never confessed your sins to one another or to Christ, I invite you to do that. We're going to have time to do that. And you can be in Christ today. And the process of the kingdom will begin in your life as the Holy Spirit makes you new. Hold out a little longer, O my soul, and bear with the infirmities of your earthly tabernacle. For soon we will all rest. Soon we will rest. Let's pray together. We're going to go to our tables, and uh, we're going to hopefully process that a little together and really just some time to pray for each other. If someone needs an encouragement at your table, I just pray that you'd pray new life over them this morning. Um, Let's pray together this morning before we do that. Father, this, this truth this morning and, and the small breaking in of, of Eutychus being raised up, just that one day we will all be raised up, um, that truth is, is, is too glorious to, to think about. Um, too, too glorious for us to comprehend, I should say. We should think about it, but, but we don't get it. Lord, would you, would you open our eyes to, to get little senses of it throughout our week, throughout our life? Help us to see the the kingdom of God breaking in when we see it. Help us to feel it when we're discouraged. Help us to know it when we feel lost. God, that you're with us. Right there with us. And I just pray that encouragement over everyone here today. And uh, God, just ask that you would meet us. Meet us in, our, in the situation we brought into this room. Would you meet us with the reality of new life and new resurrection in you? Just ask that for everybody here today and guide us and encourage us at our, at our tables now as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're new today, this, these questions are just to facilitate some discussion at your tables. You don't have to feel as though you, you don't maybe know the folks that well. That's totally fine. You can be a listener this morning, but we're glad you're here today, and we just want to process these truths together. So off you go. All right. So we're going to move toward communion. And thanks, Aaron, and glad to know us old sailors can be at peace. Right, Rick? Is he here? No. But, um, yeah, Aaron said, uh, we all know someone who has been resurrected. And I said, yeah, darn tootin'. <laughs> but um, uh, communion is our time to, to think back and remember and look at what Jesus did for us. Jesus did live the perfect life and die on a cross for our sins. And he was resurrected. Um, sits at the right hand of God. And uh, communion is a way that we remember that. So we have tables with the elements here and there. And um, uh, as um, the music plays at the end, you can come take the elements. But remember, communion is... Uh, so we remember Jesus. It's only for those who have trusted in Jesus. If you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, uh, communion uh, it's not, not something you would do because you can't remember somebody you haven't trusted in. But now's a good time to put your trust, trust in Christ. You can uh, talk to somebody at the table. Uh, me and Jessica be in the back if you want to pray with us. Um, yeah. So that was, that was a good time. But um, so uh, there's other ways we can respond. We can respond, respond by giving. And we have an offering box in the back. We have a spot on the 
church app that you can give. You can respond by prayer. Like I said, we'll be back here, but you can pray at the table, pray to yourself, pray with us. You can respond by prayer. We respond by worship, by singing and giving glory to God. And um, so, um, and then we remember Jesus. He said, uh, do this in remembrance of me. This bread is my body broken for you. And this cup is my blood shed for you. So let's remember that. All right. And, uh, oh, Lord, Lord, thank you for loving us and dying for us. Thank you that you're here with us. And, uh, Lord, just help us to remember you and to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.